Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, you milksops. Uh, this is the only podcast hosted by two brothers talking about a thing they love and that they deem themselves experts on. Those brothers are, you know, brothers. They're related, but they're also comedians living on opposite sides of the country. Uh, I'm one of those people, Kevin Hines, living in New Jersey. I'm the other people. I'm Will Hines living in Los Angeles, California. The most healthy and COVID-free city in the world. <laughs> is there a healthy city? I don't know. I know LA's us. doing terrible, but. Yeah. The stats for LA are hilarious. Um, New Jersey's, I keep getting hopeful, and then I'm like, oh, there wasn't a big Christmas bump. And then, like, I'll think that, and I'll log in. I'm like, oh, no, there it is. It just <laughs> took a day longer than I thought. Yeah. Anyway, I'm in Los Angeles, and um, I shouldn't tell anybody this on this podcast, but I created COVID. I hope that's not been a drag. I don't think people care about who created it. Okay, me either. I don't think so. Yeah, that's not the people. What people don't like about it is telling people to wear masks. Yeah. Who cares where it came from? Yeah. You've been sitting on the cure too for a while. Yeah, yeah. I just I haven't been able to get around it. I'm trying to finish watching um, Halt and Catch Fire. Sure. What season are you on? I haven't started. Oh, well, you got to finish that first. <laughs> um. Yeah, so we're brothers, and we talk about comic books, and uh, we're starting a new season today, Kevin, yeah, and why this don't you is tell us what the season is? Uh, we're going to be covering Secret Wars, uh, and when I say Secret Wars, I'm referring to the first Secret Wars uh, comic from the 80s, uh, which is, I think, actually titled Marvel's Superheroes Secret Wars, uh, and I say that because uh, a few years ago, like maybe 2017, they did another Secret Wars. Okay. They that title again, and um, it was a very popular series. With some great artists. Um, we're not talking about that one. <laughs> this one that everyone really liked by Jonathan Hickman, who is currently revamping the X-Men line to rave reviews. Yeah. We're not talking about that. We're talking about talk the about one that, that is crass commercialization, <laughs> often described as bad. Yeah. And I guess... Bad what? in lots of ways, right? It was a bad precedent of money grabs and sort mm -hmm. of cheap crossovers. My argument is going to be what I hope... I think people like it, first of all, but yeah. my hope is to convince people that it is pretty good. It, yeah. It's not, it is probably the worst comic we've covered uh, um, yeah. in this series. I mean, we've covered bad FF comics and bad Hulks. Um, right, right. But, but I think this is worse <laughs> in a lot of ways, but also it's really, really fun in a lot of ways. Yes. I think people have a lot of affection for Secret Wars. And I just reread it all this weekend leading up till today. And there's some parts, the dialogue was way worse than I remembered. <laughs> um, but also like there's still moments. I'm just like, this is just a cool, fun idea, especially when you think it hadn't really been done before. Even yeah. if it was to sell toys, it it's fun to see all these superheroes interacting in a way. And we'll talk about that as we get into the, the um, actual episodes as the season progresses. But um, for me, this was my entryway to the Marvel Universe in a lot of ways, well, the modern Marvel Universe. We'll, we'll get into it in a second, but we were sort of the perfect age. I mean, I think I was 13 years old when Secret Wars came out, and you would have been eight. Yeah. Or nine, or I, I don't remember exactly what year, but like we started collecting comics in earnest right before the Secret Wars began. I for sure had never read an X-Men comic. You had, but I had not read an X-Men comic. I yeah. had... Only read the original six issues of the Hulk. 
Right. Um, I'd read probably some Spider-Man, modern Spider-Man, but I don't think much, maybe not any. Um, yeah. So for me, I, I definitely had never read Captain America or any Avengers characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these villains I'd never heard of. Where were so you, me, where you like, on Power Man and Iron Fist? Uh, well, they're not in this mm-hmm. uh, crossover. Mm-hmm. I'm just so curious. I, wasn't, I think I was not aware of them. Okay. And Dazzler? it wasn't when I finished it. How about Dazzler? I think also not. I mean, she might not have existed yet. Uh-huh. Captain Marvel? Have. I don't know when she started. Captain Marvel, the which Captain Marvel? Uh, both. The first male Jim Starlin, Captain Marvel, and then the female Captain Marvel. I don't know if I was aware of him at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. She is in this, so I became aware of her in this. So for for me, she was always my Captain Marvel, Monica yeah. Rambeau. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like I don't know. I was introduced to a lot of characters. I also remember we didn't have every issue. Oh, is that right? I for sure remember reading issues that would, because when rereading it, they do a lot of recapping, which is weird to think because like the Marvel comics don't do recappings in like miniseries anymore. It's not like issue three of a miniseries will recap issue one. They're like, yeah. you're reading them all. You're not reading them. Right. I guess they um, were still thinking of like the newsstand crowd, like the, you know, the spinner rack at the 7-Eleven yeah. where like you might not have read the first two. And they're not, they're not collected. You know, they weren't collecting comics. So it makes sense. And so as I'm reading this, I remember like, I remember I was rereading these issues. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember reading this and being like, it was talking about something I had not read. Yeah. could be like, this happened in Secret Wars 2. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see Secret Wars 2. I think I was always slow on trends. Like I mentioned when we went over Watchmen that I did not buy Watchmen until it was, I didn't start buying Watchmen until it was like halfway released. Our my, our friend George Ferenz was buying it. And finally I was, after seeing his issues, I got jealous and started buying it like with issue six or something. Uh, and I think same with Secret Wars. I was like, I'm not getting, I'm not going to buy. I like Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and that's it. I don't need this other stuff. But then I was like, oh, what's the story with this black costume? And like, where's the thing? <laughs> and I just eventually started getting it. Yeah. Um, before we get more into the Secret Wars. So what we're going to do this episode, we're just going to talk a little bit about Secret Wars. And then we're going to do answer some emails that built up over the holidays. Yeah, this is mostly a mailbag episode. Uh, and then next episode, we will cover issues one and two. Uh, and every episode, we will cover two issues. We'll cover one of them in depth. Like we'll mm-hmm. go page by page. And the other one will just sort of recap real quick just for completest sake. That'll be interesting to see if we can do that. Yeah. Um, so for the first episode, we will cover issue one page by page. And then my plan is for us to really be like just like one of us recap the issue. Okay. And then maybe we each highlight one moment from the issue. Okay. Either a highlight or a low light, doesn't matter which. Um, after the first episode, every issue we'll cover will be the even numbers. Mm-hmm. And the reason I picked those is one, I wanted to cover issue 12 since it's the last one. I see. Good thinking ahead. Um, and then basically, the ones I wanted to cover, the big events mostly happen in even issues. Oh, weird. Um, so as I was going through it, I was like, well, we got to cover eight. That's where Spider Man gets his new costume. I think mm-hmm. four is the one where the mountains on top of the Hulk. I kind of want to cover that one. So just like, I was like, all right, we'll just do the evens. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so this so is the opposite one, of our fantastic four season. Yeah. We'll, we're covering issue one and then four, six, eight, ten, twelve. 12. Got it. Um, but that'll start next week. This week we're just talking in general about the secret wars. So everybody adjust your expectations and your incoming sensors appropriately General intro right now, a little bit of personal history for us, themes we expect to be covering, 
then mailbag. And then next episode, mm-hmm. we start with issue one and two, focusing on one. That's right. Okay. Um, and you have not reread Secret Wars yet. Not yet. I will by next episode, though. Yeah. Um, I expect so it to be I, perfect. I, I reread it. I also read some blog entries from Jim Shooter about it. I read the, we're reading it from this uh, collection. So I read the intro and outros just to get like background and yeah. refresh my memory of like what was going on. Mm-hmm. That's more research than we usually do. Yeah. Um, again, I, I'm very intent on like, I want to know all the bad sides so that I can convince people that despite all that, there's some good here. Yeah. And I, so I think his, you've, got an, you, you've got an easy argument to make because I think people do like it. I mean, I think it's, so kind, too. it's like a schlocky action movie where people know that it's like kind of dumb, but it is beloved. Uh, I wish, what, like, what's an equivalent of this? Sort of like, I mean, Fast and the Furious movies actually are quite good, but I was, I was maybe like Rocky Four, like Rocky Four, which I just watched for the first time two weeks ago, is like I don't know, kind of dumb in most ways, and there are some super dumb moments in Rocky Four, but Rocky Four was also like really fun to watch, and it's like it was a huge box office smash, and people love Rocky Four. Yeah, or like the Mummy, the Brendan Fraser Mummy movie. Yeah. Uh, which when it came out, it's like, it's absurd. It's an absurd over the top yeah. movie. And I love it. Maybe, love maybe movie. the expendables is an even better metaphor. Cause like they cram together all these action stars into a movie and, mm-hmm. but is that movie any good? I didn't love it, but, uh, I might not be the perfect person for it. I, I like action movies, but I'm not like, uh, I want to watch every, you know, yeah. Sylvester Stallone movie type guy. Yeah. Um, well, maybe the Dirty Dozen. I'm trying to think of something where like yeah. established stars were kind of put together. Dirty Dozen's great, but <laughs> Dirty Dozen is terrific. Yeah, I can't. We can't find a good example. Um, um, but, but yeah, yeah uh, b- beloved, but critically sort of uh, lukewarm. You know. But every time I read an article about Secret Wars, it's always described as like a bad story. Like right. this is a bad story that just sold well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I think that is overstating it. I think it's not this a bad like sort story. Of, I think it's like Stan Lee overcorrection. Like Stan Lee was awful and didn't do anything for Marvel. Is it overcorrection from like Mar- he did everything? Yeah. And because Secret Wars is such a successful thing and everyone read it, it's like, well, it's not that good. And right. it isn't. It isn't good enough. It shouldn't have been the best selling comic Marvel did. Yeah. When like Frank Miller's Daredevil existed and right. Walt Simonson's Thor existed. But. It also wasn't the worst Marvel comic, and it, it was, I would say it's in the top half, easily, of what was coming out at that time. Yeah. it In my reread, it felt like um, a little old school. It felt a little bit like Jim Shooter trying to do his Stan Lee. Okay. And he can't do Stan Lee, and also it's the 80s, so he shouldn't be doing Stan Lee. Uh-huh. So like that hurts it here and there, but at the same time, Stanley did good comics and it's, that's fun, but you know, a uh, focus on getting the fun <clears throat> idea out more than like, yeah, I mean, that's anything one, of, else. one of Stan's great legacies I think is I'm here to entertain the reader and I have the reader foremost in my mind. And so, and what would be fun? I mean, yeah. And, um, so shooter, it was shooters brainchild, right? Like, Mm-hmm. The fact that it sold well, maybe despite being, let's say, an underdeveloped story, and let's certainly say underdeveloped dialogue from what you're saying, 
maybe unevenly paced or something. Despite if it sold so well, despite that, then he was right. His plan was exactly right. So I'm going to give you some background on this comic, okay, Will, and then know. you can comment on it. And then okay. we'll probably talk about Jim Shooter in general because okay. I think we both are fascinated by Jim Shooter. I'm fascinated by Jim Shooter for sure. Um, so I think Jim and maybe some other creators had had the idea of like we should do some sort of Marvel wide event type thing. Okay. They did the contest of champions, which I've never actually read as sort of a trying this out, like putting a bunch of characters together, fighting each other. Um, but it wasn't like a huge event. It was just like a couple issues or something. Um, so it was something definitely germinating in his mind. And then a toy company basically came to Marvel and said like, Hey, we want to make superhero toys. Okay. Because another toy company is making DC superhero toys. It wasn't Toy Biz. It wasn't Toy Biz. It was um, it's either it was Mattel or Kenner. I think it was Mattel. Okay. And, I'm sorry that fact, I'm, making... I'm nearly positive it's Mattel. Let's say let's be like eighty five percent sure, and we'll move on. Yeah, I don't want to. I could look it up in two seconds. I refuse to. <laughs> um, we need a we need a guy just to yeah. be sitting here and be like, look it up. Yeah. Uh, so. Mattel or another toy company comes to Marvel and they're like, basically, I think they were worried, like, if superheroes takes off, we got to have a superhero line. And DC is, and these Superman and Batman action figures might take off. Uh, and Mattel had He-Man. Okay. And so they were just like, well, well you know, He-Man might fade. And then we want superheroes. Okay. So they That's came to Marvel and... They're like, we want you to make a comic book to go along with this to help launch it. That'll this these toys will tie into. So it just can't be Marvel superheroes. We want it to be yeah. Which also seems crazy thing. to me. Like, isn't Spider Man big enough to have a toy? Well, it's also weird. Like, He Man had a cartoon. Like, they didn't make a Secret Wars cartoon to help sell this. Right. There wasn't they a trusted TV, on like there wasn't a half an hour long what amounted to a commercial every afternoon on television. Yeah. So like, it, it's very weird to be like. Um, hey, I want this to become really big. Can you can you tie your fanzine into this? Will you know? It's like yeah, uh, your blo- your web blog. Yeah, uh, it's like use a television show. That's what you do to sell things. That's what you did to sell your other best selling toy. Yeah, that's why Transformers was a hit and GI Joe was a hit, not because of the comic books. Yeah, but because of the cartoons. Anyway. So they, 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 they want Marvel to make a, a comic book. They also want Marvel to call it Secret Wars because those names test well. Okay. And there's specific characters they ask to be included. Uh, and most of those are, you know, the uh, usual suspects, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, the Hulk. Yeah. Uh, the main Avengers, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man. Yeah, They X-Men. want those people in it. Uh, and, and the X-Men are becoming really big, so they want the X-Men in it. Um. And then after that, there's some leeway of who can and can't be in it. They want Dr. Doom's costume changed a little bit. They want it to be more high tech, which <laughs> does happen like in issue 11. But it's like clearly it's 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 for the toy, but they give like a story reason for it. So they kind of had all these demands. And Jim Shooter, uh, and we'll talk about him later, I think is arrogant, which you probably need to be to be. I think that's uh, clear, right? That, I, from what... Everything I've ever yes. heard about him is like, he's like my yeah. way or no way. So he decided he should write this partially because he claimed no one else wanted to. And also everyone else would fight if something like if John Byrne wrote it, uh, Roger Stern would be mad how he treated the Avengers or, or Chris Claremont would be mad about how he treated the X-Men. He's like, everyone's mad at me anyway, so I'll just write it. Okay. 
Um, and they get Mike Zek to draw it, who I guess was not a big name, though I think Mike Zek is great. He went out of doing The Punisher, and I remember he had this series called Nom that I thought was really good. Yeah, and he... M- uh, Mike's, Mike Zek's art was great. And Mike Zek did uh, uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Oh, gosh. I forgot that. So Mike Zek is the real deal. Yeah. Um, but I think he wasn't a big name now. He had just done Captain America, and this was his next series. And there's two fill-in issues by Bob Layton. Uh, I know all this because I literally just read these issues this weekend. Um, nice. Uh, anyway, so Jim Shooter's going to write it himself. Um, but the toys don't come out with the comics when the comics first come out. So, like, the toy line comes out a little bit later. Yeah. And after the first series of these toys, they didn't sell well. And so, like, the second line of the toys, like, because toys come out, like, in waves. They okay. included characters who were not in the Secret Wars. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, there were easy builds for them. Like, oh, we can use Daredevil to remake this one. So. Yeah. Um, so the toy connection was a flop from moment one. Okay. Uh, but the, the, the book sold really well. And part of that, I think was like, it was, first of all, it's every character being thrown together, but also because they did this cool thing where they showed all the characters, all the heroes teleporting away. Right. In their regular series, in their regular series. And then saying, you want to know what happens next? You got to read secret wars. And then next month they would come back and some of them would have changes dramatically. Yeah. So Spider-Man came back in a different costume. Right. Fantastic Four came back without the thing and with She-Hulk. Yes. Uh, The X-Men just showed up in Japan for some reason. (laughs) Uh, So some of them were smaller changes, but it would be like... um, I feel like the black black costume is what I think of as like the big... That to me is like the iconic Secret Wars change. Like Spider-Man in a new costume was like crazy. That costume eventually led to Venom, so it is the biggest lasting change from this. But they also created new characters during Secret Wars. Um, So lots had changed during it. And like those issues had not come out yet. So when you started reading the comics in January, you're like, I hope we figure out what's going to happen. Also, what was interesting, and I'll let you talk in a minute, Will, is that uh, the costume, when they announced the new costume, they got so much hate mail from people because they were going to change Spider-Man's costume. Um, that Jim Shooter basically went to, nobody wanted to write the issue of Spider-Man where they debuted the the costume. Okay. Nobody wanted to be responsible for it because it was showing up in Spider-Man first. Um, Tom DeFalco did it because I think he's just a, a, a good Company dude. Man. Yeah. But uh, Jim Shooter was basically like, get rid of the costume as soon as you can. And Tom DeFalco's like, I got to keep it at least until you introduce it in Secret Wars. Yeah. I got to keep it at least eight months. Right. It'd be insane for it to be gone before you introduce it. Yeah, he's right. Uh, and then by the time it was introduced, it was a huge hit. That issue was selling off the racks. Uh, the toy company was excited because they could make a new Spider-Man action figure. Uh, and it was a huge, huge hit. And then he came back. He's like, keep it around for a while. <laughs> uh, but and, it's also, and in a way, it's still around, like you said. Uh, yeah, and it's very interesting to me how quickly they would just change gears on things like that. Get rid of it. Keep it forever. This is fascinating in so many ways. To, oh, can I say something? Yes, go. I mean, there's th- these things aren't even what I want to say isn't even like worth talking about really. But I, it's always interesting to me when a creative endeavor is begun with like such like craven beginnings, like just like a business saying this title tests well, kid, make it yeah. a movie or whatever. And, you know, you think that normally that doesn't work, but sometimes it does kind of work. I just watched the Bee Gees documentary, <laughs> a documentary on the music group, the Bee Gees. 
Um, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Really fun if you're into bands and music, certainly if you're into the Bee Gees. Um, I really loved it. But they were talking about the creation of the movie Saturday Night Fever, which would lead to the Bee Gees becoming like their biggest success, huge superstars. You know, the song Staying Alive. And um, Kevin, I know you've never listened to music, but this was a really big album. I've heard um, of uh, Airplane, which did a parody in Airplane 2 of this movie. So go on. <laughs> and um, was it Airplane 2 they did I that I think parody? it was Airplane 2. Uh, <laughs> where like, they a, did the Staying Alive one. dance. Um, I could be wrong on that. It's one of the Airplane movies. 85% sure it's Airplane 2. We'll get 85% certainty on our stats. Um, yeah. I, I think, cause I, think like, I remember it being like a, when he was on trial talking about it. Um, okay. Anyway. They... Uh, um, what was I saying? Oh, so in this documentary, like Saturday Night Fever, the movie which launched the BGs to a huge fame, was itself a enormously successful movie. Uh, John Travolta, the star, got nominated for an Oscar. Huge box office, like just smash. You know, it, you know, unleashed a wave of imitators. Uh, the, it's still iconic. John Travolta's initial walk down the streets of Brooklyn with Staying Alive playing is like a famous cinematic sequence. Directed by the guy who directed War Games, Kevin. Just by the way. Oh, there you go. Um. Like that band. Okay. And, um, <laughs> but the creation of Saturday Night Fever was like completely cynical. Like it was like, all right, uh, a music guy bought the rights to an article in New Yorker magazine and then for a title called Barry Gibb and was like, what songs are you doing for the soundtrack? They didn't know the story yet. They knew it was vaguely going to be about disco. He's like, I got one called Night Fever. He's like, eh. That's a little too pornographic. We'll call it Saturday Night Fever. No story yet. <laughs> yeah. And like, then they got John Travolta signed on. Again, no script. Um, but it ended up being, like, it's a really good movie. It's like, it's a it's fun and great. And it's just weird when something that begins yeah. like that works out. It sounds like Secret Wars kind of had an element of this. I remember going to see Pirates of the Caribbean, the first uh, Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom, Kara Knightley movie. Yeah. Uh, with a friend of mine. Just like, it's like, uh, it'll be a laugh. This dumb movie based on a ride. Based at on Disney a ride, World. yeah. And then at the end of the movie, I was like, I, I, t- I turned to my friend. I was like, I think I loved this movie. Yeah. Like, I didn't just enjoy it. I think I loved this movie. I really do. I still love that first movie. Yeah. Uh, and that had no right to be a good movie, let alone a great movie. I think I remember your favorite moment from the first movie. Oh, I okay. What was it? Do you I have, have lots of favorite. Mind? I have lots of favorite moments, but what? what I'm going to tell you what your favorite moment okay. was. It's when you cut to Captain Captain Jack Sparrow, and he's just in the middle of telling a story to somebody, and in the background is a ship, and we cut to him, and he says, "And so they made me their chief." And then in the back, like somebody just like falls out of a ship and like hits the water. Someone falls into the water. Yeah. Yeah, that's your favorite uh, moment. That is a fun moment. My favorite moment, I think, is in rewatching is just the first scene of Johnny Depp's ship sinking <laughs> just as he reaches the dock. Like it, it submerges completely <laughs> and he steps onto the dock, uh, which is such a funny introduction to this character being like, here's this pirate whose ship sank, but just at the right time. Like he is kind of a bad pirate, but also blessed, but it also worked out perfectly for him. Yeah. And it's such a great introduction for that character. Uh, it sent me on a, a burst of like watching movies just for character introductions. I was like asking people to recommend movies, just like who's introduced well, like Indiana Jones and Raiders. Yeah. Uh, Eric recommended The Third Man, which I'd never seen. Of course, uh, I recommended The Orson Third Welms. Man. Orson Welles. Orson Welles' intro was really great in that. So things yeah. like that. Um, 
I mean, Transformers, the original animated movie with Orson Welles as the voice of Optimus Prime, speaking of mm-hmm. third man connection, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good little movie. People like, love tra- that movie. And Transformers has just started as a toy. Like, yeah. there's been like really cool stuff out of the Transformers world. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes this, these, sometimes the marketing guys have a good idea. And most superhero movies are signed with just like, we're going to do this character with this star. We don't have a script yet. That almost always happens for superhero movies. Right. They do have so the, the whole comic book right. you know, to draw but, from. But, you know, for a long time, most superhero movies were bad. So yeah, it's only recently where you could be like, eh, odds are it'll be pretty good. <laughs> the, other thing, the other thing this is making me think of is something that was really bad in the 80s and that got good. I don't know when I'm cu- I'm curious if you think when this got good that I'm about to say, which is like ca- caring about like continuity across genres. Like, like if Harley Quinn's big in the animated series of Batman, Harley Quinn should be in the comics. They should agree or, you know, as mm-hmm. largely as we can. Um, like you were saying how like the toy line would release characters build as Secret Wars toys who were not in the Secret Wars comic or something similar to this is when the cover of the comic book would not be an accurate depiction of what's inside or something like that. Right. Like the cover is just there to make you buy it. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's 100 percent accurate. I feel like there's better fidelity of like somebody lays out a plan of the world and you kind of stick to it. Yeah. I mean, I think that stuff kind of comes and goes with comics back and forth. Mm. Uh, definitely the comics try to honor what's popular from the movies and television shows, or at least nod towards it. Um, and if that thing catches on, like Tony Stark's personality in comic books is Robert Downey Jr. now, and it will be forever. Right, right. That over that overwrote what Tony Stark acted like prior to Iron Man came in, coming out in theaters. Yeah. Uh, but other things like happen and they try it and it's like, well, that didn't like for a little bit. Spider-Man had organic web shooters okay. because the Sam Raimi movies had organic web shooters. They deny that, but it's like for sure that's why you did it in the comics. And it went away because it just didn't feel right. Yeah. And it, we like you know, those it, mechanical web shooters. We and in every other movie they've been mechanical too. So it's just sort of like this is the thing that's sticking. Yeah. But if for some reason that had stuck, maybe they'd be organic now still. I feel like I have to acknowledge the pun of you saying sticking while talking about web shooters. Oh, yeah, well, it was unintentional, but acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, definitely that stuff happens. Uh, continuity in comics is also interesting, right? Back then, like uh, uh, things like that would happen. I feel like uh, when we were first reading comics, there would frequently be like a panel throwaway referring to like some big event happening somewhere else. Like it snowed in New York City because in Thor, the cask of winters had been opened. Right. And it had no effect on the Spider-Man issue other than like it was snowing in the summer. Right. And it just like, you want to know why it's snowing? Read Thor. Right. Uh, you want to know why the moon looks weird? Read Rom. <laughs> that was for sure a real one. Yeah. Um, and I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I'm not going to read those stories. Yes. I, I, I love I loved those moments. I like that. That stuff sort of has gone away from comics. And it's just sort of like, ah, Wolverine can sort of be everywhere. It's more fun to have him in the story than to be like, oh, he can't be there right now. Yeah. He's too busy you know, fighting somebody in Japan. He can't be in New York today. It's like, oh, we have a good story for him. We're going to put him there. Unless it completely breaks the universe, they do that now. The other thing that I'm, the last thing I wanted to say that I don't know how to discuss is like when Secret Wars came out, you know, like I said, I was 13, you were eight or nine and whatever. I actually don't totally remember what I thought about it at the time. I think I was like, oh, it's okay. Um, 
I was not like excited about it the way I, I would be excited about Dark Knight or Watchmen or other stuff. But um, I um, I did still think of Marvel as like um, a super well organized. I don't know. It's like the the uh, Marvel is the Bible. It's like whatever the comics that come out, these have, these have been decided by the experts mm -hmm. as what's happening in the, with these characters and these stories. And these are the best people to be making these decisions and everything's carefully considered. And then you find out, Oh, a toy company told them to do this. And so everyone's doing this. Yeah. And uh, the black costume, whoever decided that maybe Jim shooter, it sounds like, um, yes. well, we're just doing that. And, Thank God the black costume looked good. I mean, it, it is a good looking costume. Imagine if it looked bad. Well, and um, the costume was designed by a fan. I Someone had that. mailed in the design to Jim Shooter and he liked it and bought it from the fan for like a hundred bucks. Wow. Uh, that's in the back of the collection we're reading. Well, they talk about that. There's the, oh. the original drawing of it. And I guess Jim Shooter just like wrote this guy. He's like, we'll buy that. I think, I think it's a hundred bucks. He's like, we want to use this costume. Wow. And they tweaked that was. it. They tweaked it, but um, basically it's like a mostly black costume was their idea. Um, I mean, the Spider-Man costume designed by Steve Ditko, it's perhaps the most iconic superhero costume after Superman. Mm -hmm. um, it is an excellent design that totally works and probably on some level is one of the main reasons why the character works in some Yes. animal sensory way like it communicates something very powerfully yeah um, but to get rid of it for a year i'm actually super into things like that i'm like yeah let's just we can live without it for a year i also think that black costume is almost as good like yeah. i think if he had that, that costume originally that character might still work it definitely looks more ominous in comparison right it doesn't have that yeah. nice bright red and blue happiness uh, it's fun though. I mean, I, in the video game, there's no black costume, but there are some that are sort of similar to yeah. it. And I'll always, I'll pick those and just pretend it's the black costume. Me too. I do the same thing. <laughs> it is a, it's a, it's a great costume. He's had so many costumes. Now the video game is a great example of that. Cause there's like 50 alternate suits. Yeah. They just announced a new suit that he's going to have in the comics and everyone's like, it looks bad, but it's like, it'll be around for like two stories or whatever. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, but the black costume, which Venom is still wearing, still exists in a, a slightly mutated form. It worked. It, like, it was very iconic and simple. It was based on the Ditko design. Obviously, the eyes are the same eyes. Yeah. And it's got the logo right in the same place, and a very similar style logo. But I, it it does work. I mean, I would hate for it to have replaced the red and blue forever. But whenever he wears it, I'm like, oh, it looks. it still looks great to me. Yeah, it's a really great costume. It's amazing to have a second costume that is pretty different and that good. Um, what else do we need to say about Secret Wars? Uh, the one other thing I wanted to say about Secret Wars in general was that in reading these um, articles about it, there's a lot of talk about creators not wanting to work on certain books. Like I said, nobody wanted to write the Spider-Man issue with the black costume because Marvel had like a th two reasons. Marvel had a thing built in for like, if your comic sold a lot, you'd make more money. Okay. So you only wanted to spend time on a comic you think would sell well. And you're like, this secret wars is dumb. It's not going to sell. It's okay. just to sell toys. I want to write something that's good. I want to write. Uh, so put me on that. Um, but then also like, 
people just like I think had like a little bit of pride in their work. So like I, when I was reading this, I also read about the Transformers license coming to Marvel, and nobody wanted to work on Transformers, which was also a huge seller for Marvel. And it's like, oh, if you just took this job and like poured your heart into it. You would have made a ton of money. Uh, but these creators sort of like pushed back and like, nah, I don't want to do it. And they would have to sometimes would struggle to find someone who would do it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's interesting, too. It's just sort of like I, I always feel like it's in comics like, hey, do you want to do this big event? You're going to be like the artist or the writer on this main title that we're going to be promoting a lot. Wouldn't you want to do that? Now it feels like yes, but back then it just seemed like, no, I want to do Power Pack or whatever. I don't know. Maybe well, not maybe Power they Pack. didn't have faith in Shooter. I think there, yeah. I feel like there was a lot of animosity between Shooter and the staff. Yeah. And um, maybe they just didn't have faith in something that he was saying. Because there, there were a lot of like Marvel things like the Indiana Jones adaptation that were like not super well done. Or at yeah. least not like they weren't like there wasn't a lot of... Um, support behind them by the company you yeah. know they, they seem to be kind of just like churned out they, they, they did have those titles so yeah but you, at the same time like star wars saved the company i didn't know that yeah the company was not making much money it was doing poorly and they got the license to star wars they didn't really want it but someone got the license they're like all right we'll do it and it was the best selling comic because there was no merchandise for star wars when the movie first came out except for these comic books i i bought the marvel comic book adaptation of star Wars almost yeah. immediately. It was the only thing you could get for a while and it sold huge. It was like it, it saved Marvel comics is what they wow. often say. And that's why they did Indiana Jones and a bunch of other ones like Logan's run and things like that. They're just trying to find the next one. Wow. Uh, and Conan was a huge seller for a long time. Wow. And Conan's a licensed property. So those things do sell well, and, and people still think back on those Barry Windsor Smith Conan comics as great comics. Yeah. I don't know about the Star Wars comics. Uh, they were just huge sellers. Uh, it's it's weird, is all I guess I'm getting at. There were scenes in the Star Wars adaptation, the Marvel adaptation of Star Wars, that were not in the movie. Like, there was, I don't know what they based the script on, but there was, like, more conversations between Luke and his friend Biggs. Right, because it's based on an older draft. That frequently happens with ad uh, novelizations and adaptations are based on the script before they start shooting because they have to like start working on these books before the movie starts shooting. Yeah. And like film scenes with Biggs. Uh, the radio dramas had the same thing. They have those scenes with Biggs. Yeah, there, there was this, there's a whole through line of Luke's friend Biggs who goes off to fight the rebellion and Luke is jealous of him and then Biggs dies in the Death Star run and it's this like big emotional moment. And... In the version of Star Wars that I saw, I don't even know who Biggs was. Like, he didn't even register as a character. He hugs Biggs when he gets there, and Biggs does die, and he gets upset, and that's the only remnants of that storyline. But you, there's, like, the fragments of that storyline. Yeah. Do exist. But it's, it's pretty well fleshed out in the Marvel Comics adaptation. So when I was, like, eight or whatever, I'd be like, I knew who Biggs was, but it was from the yeah. comic book. And there was a couple other things like that in the comic that were sort of different. And it was kind of fun. Um, yeah, so those are, um, uh, I don't know, that stuff is interesting to me, all that stuff to sort of, a lot yeah, of what Marvel did was just to sort of stay afloat and to sell comics, obviously, not to make, make great comics, but just to sell comics, uh, and some of it was good, some of it was bad, but it, it feels like creators are always so prickly. Uh, let's talk real briefly about Jim Shooter, Will. Should we take a break? We're at, uh, we're at 35. Um, sure, we can take a break. Let's do it. Okay. 
Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. We're back. Kevin, you have a black costume on. What, what, what happened? Uh, to find out, you'll have to listen to the next <laughs> six episodes of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. Um, and I've been uh, replaced by She-Hulk. Yeah, it's an improvement. <laughs> Um, Jim Shooter, yeah. So, uh, yeah, editor-in-chief so, of Marvel Comics. I think, like, the first editor-in-chief who was, like, kind of got out of the shadow of Stan Lee and made his own imprint on the company and wasn't just furthering the Stan Lee plan. Yeah, I think a couple of things about Shooter, as I was saying earlier, he's more... I forget how arrogant he must have been sometimes. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think eventually that's what um, everyone hated him for because he would start like saying, you've got to change this. You can't do this. You've got this part of the story doesn't work. You're writing Spider-Man wrong. Um, and from reading these articles about Secret Wars, it sounds like it got worse after Secret Wars because Secret Wars sold so well. Yeah. And he's like, because I'm a great writer. Oh, right. right. Uh, and having having read this, I'm like, it's a fun story and it's good. There's good stuff in there. But it's just like it's because they're great characters. Yeah. Um, there's moments in the story where I'm like, oh, I wish someone good had written this part. I bet this would be great. <laughs> like if Alan Moore had written uh, the issue where Doom steals uh, the Beyonder's power, it would be a phenomenal issue. Right. Um, or even like John Byrne or Frank Miller could have done a better job. But uh, because it's Jim Shooter, it's just I'm sort of like, eh, this part's boring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he wasn't a great writer, but he thought he was. But at the same time, like, it is his job to make sure like someone's writing Spider-Man correctly. Yeah. He just needs to trust. He needs to get good people writing Spider-Man and trust that they know how to write good Spider-Man and only overrule them infrequently. And I think he got more frequent with that stuff. Um, Jim Shooter got the job like, and he wasn't, I mean, he'd been doing comics for a while, but he was young and he was definitely newer at Marvel. And he like leapfrogged a bunch of uh, vets. And he also followed like a revolving uh, door of editors. Okay. Like a bunch of like Archie Goodwin was editor for like 13 months before Jim Shooter took over. But before Archie Goodwin, it was like one guy for a month, one guy for a couple weeks. Okay. Like, like Marv Wolfman here. And then Gary Conway took it, but turned it down. So it was like a bunch of, nobody wanted the job. Right. And Jim Shooter came and took it over. And his, the things that he did that were, that were great, even beyond the quality of the comics where he, created uh he made himself editor-in-chief instead of editor and created editors that would cover fewer titles instead of one editor taking care of 45 titles it'd be one editor taking care of like eight okay um, which is how dc was doing it. and he just like dc does this better our book our line is too large stan we used to, we, were, we were following the stan lee method but he only had eight books okay so you're in charge of the spider-man books you're in charge of the avenger books or whatever yeah, uh, and I'm in charge of all of you editors. Okay, and that's super smart. 
Uh, he worked really hard to get rid of missed delays. He, he uh, Marvel's wasting a lot of money in comics that would miss deadlines for printing. Okay. Uh, and you just lose money having to like rush print something to get it out on time uh, so that you could fulfill contracts and obligations. So he started creating fill-in issues, which I don't love, but it's a very smart business decision. Like he would just bank a bunch of like done in one issues about a character that you could slot in any time. Okay. Yeah. So like, here's a Spider-Man issue. When, when you're falling behind a Spider-Man, we'll just release this. Okay. Um, and that saved Marvel a lot of money. And then I think three, he, uh, uh, worked hard to get creators more money. Okay. He tried to, it's like, if your comic sells a lot, he was like, we should pay them more. So like, John Byrne made a lot of money off Alpha Flight One. It's like a famous story because it sold so well, and he deserves to. It sold because of him, right? Yeah. Uh, so like, if if you're, I wasn't buying it for Puck and Sasquatch. Yeah. So if your comic is selling a lot, you get more money. So Chris Claremont makes more money under Jim Shooter than he does without because X Men's a huge selling title. It also makes you as an artist like uh, want to work on titles that you think will sell better. It's like oh, I want to do Spider Man. That's going to sell versus like. And it's too much work. Right, right. And I think that's all really smart. He also, I think, tried, because I think the owners of the company didn't care about this stuff, but to get art returned to people, um, he would try to do things where people would get uh, money, like uh, get not rights to the characters, but get like, oh, if your character's using a cartoon, you'll make money off of it. I don't think he won those battles a lot, but I think he did fight for those battles somewhat. Okay, yeah, interesting. Um, Was Martin Goodman still running Marvel? Uh, we need I the think, Martin Goodman story. That's that's that we need yeah. that story. I don't know if he was at, at that point. And how much money did Martin Goodman make off all these things? Did he just like buy Australia? And not that he's from Australia, but just say, yeah. have so much money that he could buy a continent? Because like he owned the rights to Spider Man. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, crazy. It's, I mean, at some point, like, <laughs> yeah, at some point he sold the company, right? And so. Yeah. Uh, that happened for sure. I don't know enough about Martin Goodman, what happened to him post Me either. I don't really know. But we, we always talk about rights and like how Jack Kirby didn't own his characters and Steve did good. Yeah. And then Stan, Stan Lee didn't. And yeah. um, Martin Goodman did. Yeah. Know, well, yeah. Uh, this company did. didn't if, create anything. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's the other thing is like Jim Shooter or Stan Lee, these guys often had to fight with the guys. And if they didn't care about that, they're not going to fight that hard. Yeah. Um, and well, I like shoot. the idea that Jim Shooter was like, these creators need to get paid more. If we want Frank Miller and Walt Simonson and, uh, uh, Bill Sinkiewicz to work on our books, we got to pay him. I feel like what, so we're talking, one of the reasons why Kevin and I are so interested in the Jim Shooter era is this was our era. This is like yeah. when we first got into comics very passionately. And I think everybody has a special affection for the first time in which you dive in. Even if you stay reading comics for your whole life, like whatever, whatever first grabs you is like, you know, I don't know. It's always got a special place in your heart, but so we like it for that reason, but also there really were a lot of influential and great comics happening. Like this was the rise of the X world, like Claremont's X-Men was ascendant. Yeah. It was also a lot of great creators showing up. John Byrne, Frank Miller. You just said Bill Kevitz, Peter David shows up not too long into this Christopher priest, although he was writing under Jim Owsley for a while, yeah. but like young, good, smart people, Dave Roger, Mazzuchelli, Roger Stern, 
Yeah, like I mean, varying degrees of how Walt Simonson and Louis big these Simonson. guys are. Yeah. Um, yeah, varying degrees of how big these guys are, but they are all like were giants in like those runs. Like Roger Stern's run in Spider Man is heralded as one of the best. Uh, at, at the time it came out, it was like, oh, this is the best the book's been in forever. I mean, I think it was a generation of people who had been truly kids in the 60s and now were adults. And they're like, I know what this is supposed to feel like. I'm going to mm-hmm. make it feel like that. Yeah. Marvel started great. I think got a little worse, got a little worse, got a little worse. Got, I mean, with like little cool things popping up, right? Like Howard the Duck by Steve Gerber or whatever. Yeah. There'd be like momentary cool things like this. Jim Shooter also was part of starting the Epic Comics, which was all creator owned. Yeah, that's really that's interesting. A cool thing that eventually went away. Marvel doesn't have it anymore, really. They'll sometimes sell creator owned stuff for like creators they really, really, really like. But it's like Epic Comics was awesome. Yeah, I forgot about Epic Comics. Dreadstar and grew one of my favorites uh, and things like that were just like that were whole cloth owned by somebody. And it's a way to make creators happy and also to, for you to get a piece of the profit of a cool comic. He just seems like an interesting guy, but whenever I would, so we liked him and you know, he and his personality, he was just like Stan Lee. You know, you, if you were reading comics, you knew the name Jim shooter. He had like letters to the readers and, you know, he was mm-hmm. a personality in your mind as a fan of Marvel. But then as I got a little bit older and I would read other people talking about Shooter, it was all like negative. It was just like everybody seemed to fight with Shooter. Yeah. Burn hated him. him. Burn hated him maybe the most, John Byrne. But he uh, but seems cantankerous himself. Yes, also, of right? course. That's what like, I was going to say is like that might be discounted. Some people didn't hate him. Like Tom DeFalco, I don't think hated him. But I think a lot of people Tom were DeFalco bothered. didn't hate anybody though. Yeah. Tom DeFalco's great. <laughs> I mean, Claremont gave him a good compliment once in an interview. I don't know what Claremont's relationship was with him, but it was like the death of Phoenix was a shooter idea Mm -hmm. because Claremont had Phoenix destroy a planet and shooter read that. It's like, there's got to be consequences for this. And that led to the death of Phoenix. And Claremont was like, he was right or something like that. Yeah. I I just read a little bit about that too. Like Claremont and Byrne were really mad about that at first. They went back and changed it. And then like reluctantly, I think later on, we're like, this is better. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Shooter claims in his blog that I was reading that it's like, he didn't say they had to kill him. It's like, you have to do something. Right, right. That's what I read too. There has to be consequences, like yeah. big consequences. She can go to jail for like, yeah. And the, but then, but Claremont was like, but then the X-Men would just free her immediately. They would never yeah. let her stay in prison. Like he, he was like, the only answer he would accept was we have to kill her if that's the thing. <laughs> And so, like, between the three of them, they kind of came this, like, sort of seminal X-Men moment. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're, so Jim Shooter, when, you know, you're listening, um, email, email in to screw with Spidey and let us know what you think I, about you. I, I think also, like, um, and like, a lot of times, like, you know, Stanley, I think, was the right editor for Marvel at that time. But if he had edited Atlas Comics 10 years earlier, it wouldn't have mattered. And if he had come in 20 years later, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Like his sensibilities and what he liked was perfect for the late sixties, early seventies. And Jim Shooter was the perfect guy for eighties when like creator rights were probably really boiling. Yeah. For the first time. Like there was always sort of a thing. People left and quit all the time. It was like, they couldn't do anything about it. You know, Kirby quit and Ditko quit. And it's like, yeah, quit, go to the other place and come back here 10 years later. Uh, But 
I think it was hitting a point where it's like, this is going to have consequences. Our independent comics now, it's like, and now he's making those first steps towards patching that up a little bit and creating creator lined, uh, creator owned uh, lines and things like that. So, and if he was Um, the editor now, like nothing he's done since Valiant did okay, but like most of what he's done since has not been as successful. And I think part of that is because, oh yeah, you are a perfect eighties editor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the 80s anymore. Also, maybe he fixed what he could fix, and now people are doing the good ideas he had, so he can't do them anymore. Yeah, I just read a quote. I think it was John Byrne, but I'm not sure who said, like, he went to DC Comics after um, he got sick of Shooter, basically. And he was like, what what Shooter should have done is switched to DC every 10 years, switched from DC to Marvel every 10 years. And just like cleaned house and straightened everything up and then move away and let someone come in who can just like let these, these things are working now. Leave them alone. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe he's a good revolutionary and not a good just running. Let, let the yeah. stay the course, which who knows if that's true, but that's a funny idea. Just being like, let's just trade him back and forth. It's like, all right, we're messy again. Can you clean our house? <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll talk more about Jim Shooter as this season goes on because he's writing the comic that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to our interview. That went way longer than we thought, like always. Yep. Let's do our mailbag now. Cool. Let's do it. we got a bunch of mail. Let's try to uh, do it as quick as we can. Okay. We'll just um, say yes or no and move on. Yep. <laughs> Tony Labra emails, uh, just listen to your app on good old J. Jods, Immortal Hulk number five. I was not only enamored with this incarnation of the Hulk at first, Al Ewing's take is so different from what I grew up with, the Len Wein, Bill Mantlo era. And you especially uh, loved Joe Bennett art. I did not. It's just so mm. weird, creepy, and at times gross and disgusting. True. Anyway, I grew up with Sal Buscema's Hulk, Buscema's, I think, Hulk, uh, that was a staple look for such a long time. But you know what? 40 issues later, and I haven't missed a single one. Different is good. Different is what Peter David did with the Hulk, and that was brilliant. And if I just step back and see what Al and Joe are doing now, I can't help but admire their courage and fresh take. Uh, now, sadly, I read somewhere that the Immortal Hulk may be coming to an end with issue 50. I guess Marvel wants the Incredible version back, or Alstar was never meant to be the new status quo. Uh, uh, and then he points out that, uh, according to MarvelFandom.com, the character Jackie McGee, who's the reporter in Immortal Hulk, will? Yeah. Uh, and this Immortal Hulk run is based on the character Jack McGee from the Incredible Hulk live action series from the 1970s. Oh, right. Jack McGee, I forgot. Yes. Yeah, someone else tweeted that at me, uh, and I... Didn't know the show well enough. I would have never picked up on that. That's really cool. Yeah. I love that character. Uh, I love that Tony did not like this comic and then read 40 issues of it. Yes. That's very comic book fan. But I, I really do appreciate that he was, I, hey, if you don't like something, you don't like something. Be honest about it. But I also like that he seemed open to absorbing it and then eventually could appreciate it on its own terms. I mean, what he's saying about the art, I only read the first six issues so far. But like, it is gruesome. Like, he's right. Like, that is the style. Mm-hmm. And if that's not your jam, you're not going to like it. But I don't know. That, that to me, is a very generous review. I like yeah. that. I also have heard that it's going to end soonish, but I also would be pretty sure that it must be Al Ewing's choice because it's hugely successful. And Marvel would milk it for as long as they could <laughs> because it's selling. Um, I got a, a message from uh, a woman named Paige. Uh, her her husband wrote us last episode, I think, or a couple episodes ago. Okay. His name is Max Fox Rendell, huge fan of the podcast. Uh, she Thank wanted you, me to do a call out for him on for Christmas, and I wrote back. I was like, "We already recorded our Christmas podcast because we were way ahead at that point." 
Yeah. Uh, but apparently the two of them listen to the podcast and then discuss every episode together about what we discussed. So, Oh my gosh. Uh, my wife won't even listen to me talk about comics. So it's great that to imagine a couple discussing our us talking about comics. Yeah, that's so nice. Thanks for telling us that. And hey, yeah. here's a Christmas shout out to you, Max, yeah. for 2021. Yeah, <laughs> Merry Christmas, <laughs> 2021. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see, what's next? Uh, okay, this is from Howard uh, Walfish. Hi, Milk Sops. <laughs> I had written to you about a superhero cartoon shows a while back. I've been enjoying this mini season and bang, sounds great. While I enjoy some of the other comics you mentioned in the episode, Supreme, Planetary, I read the first trade of Black Cameron. It didn't really land for me. I did enjoy the art, though. Your episode was entertaining, and I'm glad you addressed the question of why this type of book is interesting. But I wonder how much is just personal preference. I'm lukewarm on Astro City as well, if that tells you anything, hmm. though I haven't read the Hanged Man story you mentioned. Oh my, my question gosh. for you is... with uh, uh, Let's go into that. That'll be next. So, yeah... It, so he's lukewarm and he's wondering if this is just personal preference. These sort of like, uh, analogous stories like the, um, like, like the black hammer characters sort of feel like other characters. Like this is sort of a Thor character. This mm-hmm. is sort of a Dr. Strange, Dr. Fate kind of character. Right. Cause you mentioned Supreme um, planetary Astro city. Those are all sort yeah, of, I think, cut I from think that he's clock. right. It, this, uh, I was thinking about it when I read black hammer, I finished, I read all the black hammer issues, not the spinoffs, but the main, core and uh, I was thinking about it I was like this is a particular thing that I see more in comics than any other genre which is like it is both an original story in and of itself but a clear like homage to uh, to existing things you know that is just like real comic book I can sort of get not digging it yeah I get it too um I, I mean I would say read the first trade for Astro City I think that is still I think like those stories are so good, but um, where some of some of the trades are less good, some are I love them all, but uh, I think the first trade is just six great stories. That does not include the Hanged Man, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get I get it too. Um, but as he said, he like he says he kind of liked Supreme and Planetary, so it's also like what people do with those characters, right? Al- when Alan Moore does this kind of story, it's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, you know, one of the greatest <laughs> superhero comic book stories of all time. And when somebody else does it, it could be a little less successful. But um, like, so I don't, I don't know. I read Supreme and I liked Supreme. Okay. But I didn't, I liked Supreme less than Black Hammer, for instance. I, I agree with that. Supreme to me was, it felt more like a lark. Yeah. Like it was just kind of like, wasn't that initially a Rob Liefeld character? Yes, and then it Alan was. Moore took it over. So yeah. I felt like it was kind of like. Eh, I'm not going to invest too much in this. Here's some kind of fun stuff I could do that I'll enjoy. But I, like su- the only thing I remember in Supreme is the Jack Kirby issue. There's uh, a big Jack Kirby tribute issue. Yeah, I don't remember that issue. I remember just like the multiverse of Super P- Supremes. Yeah, it was it was pretty um, fun. I mean, I don't know. It's fun. Like, yeah, but- and I loved Planetary, though. So it's just, you know, certain stories just hit you certain ways. I think the it would be weird to read Black Hammer if you've only been reading superhero comics for like a year. Uh, but maybe yeah. that happens. I don't know. Because uh, it seems like it's steeped in a little bit in like you love superheroes. Yeah. Or at least you used to love superheroes. You like old superheroes. You 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 aren't new to superheroes. It just feels like you've already got this baked in, which maybe everyone is now because of movies. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I actually am totally sympathetic to this. And I 
I'm I would be more excited to read a comic of totally original characters than something that is transparently just doing analogs. But if it's good, it's good. Uh, his question for us is because of our Secret Wars coverage. Is there a non big two crossover event you'd like to see? Um, so, you know, like Dark Horse characters or um, like okay. event means more to me than just like Hellboy meeting up with uh, Luba. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, first of be- all, if I could see that, that would be something else. And you know what? Gilbert Hernandez would be great at it. It would. That I would think. work. That one would work. I think. <laughs> they would get along. Hellboy and Luba. Yeah. Luba's from the Love and Rockets comic series. Everybody, no one yeah. here has read it. Um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but like as far as an event goes, I think I'm not a huge fan of event comics. Um. Like things like Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen work because it's like, oh, I never even considered those characters getting together. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun to see like all these literature characters show up as a big, like that's a big crossover event in a way. Yes. Um, I tend to not, I remember Eclipse did one. Do you remember Eclipse doing one with all their comic books? I don't remember that. Like Bean World and, and uh, Zot and um, Bean World crossed over. And just everything that was Eclipse at least showed up a little bit. Airboy. It was like all these like disparate characters. Like, and it was like, I never, I don't know if I read much of that crossover because it didn't really work. It was sort of pulling from such diverse worlds. Um, but I think they're just like, this will sell. Yeah. Bean World crossover. Beanish was the crossover character. Oh my gosh. Uh, this is a rare, that, I don't, not going to explain who Beanish is to anyone listening right now, but Beanish traveled to fight with superheroes or something. <laughs> And it's referenced in the Bean World comics. Wow, crazy. Because uh, he could like teleport or whatever a little bit. Anyway, uh, um, so I don't think there is one that stands out to me. If there was, it would be more like a TV show or or uh, a different movie franchise. Like, let's see John Wick, Jason Bourne, and James Bond team up. Yeah, Um I don't know enough of the characters in these other companies to be that excited by yeah. it. Like I, I could see just like two characters meeting, but more than that, I don't know. I don't think I would care. Yeah. Especially if they're not already in the same universe, the hoop you have to jump through to get them together can sometimes seem a little boring. Yeah. I'd have, unfortunately I don't have an answer for this one. Yeah. Um, thank you, Howard. I guess I'll say that if I had to guess, uh, like a weird theme event, like all sidekicks or something like that, you know, or all science people get everyone, you know, non big two scientists together. All right. I'm going to stick with my movie, uh, John wick. I think Jason right. Bourne, James Bond crossover, all spies. Uh, Thomas Franzen emails. Uh, he wants to talk about immortal Hulk. Prior to reading the Immortal Hulk, my knowledge of the character was limited. I read the first six issues when you guys covered them and not much else. I started reading Immortal Hulk on your recommendation and loved it. Even though I'm not super familiar with Hulk's history, I had no trouble following the plot and actually enjoy some of the confusing continuity things because it forces me to use my imagination to fill in the blanks and make it cohesive. So I guess to answer your question on whether or not this book is accessible to non-Hulk experts, I'd say yes. In fact, I think part of the fun comes from the confusing continuity and trying to make sense of it. Thanks. That's interesting. I'm glad to hear that because I feel like I hear a lot of people have the opposite reaction mm-hmm. where they're like, I feel left out 
I can tell this is referring to, not for Immortal Hulk, but just in general, like a a criticism people have of a particular comic is like, oh, I I could tell they were talking about something I didn't know what, so I don't want to read it. That always strikes me as lazy and dumb, and I hate those people. Um, and uh, I much <laughs> prefer the. I agree with um, uh, our our letter writer here that Thomas. Like, it is like fun to fill in the blanks and kind of try to work backwards. Yeah. We've gotten emails kind of saying both, both sides coming down at both sides of this. Some people have read it and don't love that. And some people love it. Uh, I'm definitely somebody who loves it. Um, as I said, secret wars is my introduction to a lot of characters. So it's like, I don't know what's going on with these characters. And I was interested in all of them a little bit. Um, but I get it. I, it's, it does definitely, I, I'm, I'm still curious, like what the majority of people on this country would do. They can't all agree on anything, but if we had to have an election over whether or not this stuff is good or bad, um, I would I would love to know the results of that. And it wouldn't really change my opinion of it, but I'd love to know. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I definitely about... fall on the, the side of, yeah, throw it in there. If it doesn't disrupt the story, I'm into it. I'm a big fan of Easter eggs just because they're not load-bearing columns. Like, you don't need to know it. I mean, I, there have been plenty of times where... I've gone back to a story I've that I that I loved and upon further rereading realized, oh, this character I mean this happened in Sandman. Mm-hmm. Oh, this character is a not is not an original character. It's a reboot of an existing old DC character. Oh, I didn't I didn't need to know that. And stuff like that. There is a fear of being miss, missing out though, right? I remember going to see the first Avengers movie with some friends and people being like, "Oh, I might need to ask you like what's going on? And I'm like, hopefully you won't yeah. like this movie is not good. If you get confused about these characters, if you haven't seen all the movies or read the comic books, but some people just want to know that they're just like, uh, what's he talking about? Is this from his movie or is this something else? Uh, is this from the comics or is this new to the movies? It's like, none of that yeah. should matter, but people just like to know that stuff. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I've always been a fan of the type of rich world where the characters are referring to something that you don't yet know and you may never know what it is. And you get to like just kind of guess. Yeah. You know, I, I made the Kessel run in 22 parsecs or whatever. Yeah. It's like my, my they, they eventually of- did do that in the solo movie. But like for years and years, that was just a thing that meant. The whole Millennium Falcon was fast. <laughs> right. Uh, C-3PO saying to R2-D2, another adventure you've dragged me into. Yeah. Right. Uh, so cl- I love it. Uh, the Clone Wars. A lot of references in Star Wars are, were, to me were better without the prequels because it's just like, oh, what could oh, that so be? Oh, so much better. Um, so much better. Even though I enjoy the solo movie more than most people, I hate I, that I they did. like fill in every single gap. Everything Han Solo said is referenced in that movie. And I'm like, I don't need... Uh, you don't need all. Everything. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, pick one. I, I thing. enjoyed that movie too. I thought that movie was fun, but yeah, that, that aspect ho- of it I didn't need. If that whole movie was just about like him getting the Millennium Falcon or him meeting Chewbacca or or just the Castle Run, it, I think it's a better movie for it. But yeah. you know, this is not a Han Solo podcast. Uh, email from Matt uh, uh, Go- Govia. Hmm. I think that's close. Uh, first, I would like to say I drive a truck 13 hours a day for a living. A friend of mine told me about your podcast and I binged all of it. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Holy crap. Uh, some things I took away were I had to read the early Spidey issues, which I have and loved. I dipped my toe in the Kirby FF and I agree what was great 
and about it. it uh, and I agree what was great about it. It was unbelievable. But what was bad was real bad, bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't argue that. Uh, I love it at all. But uh, but I agree that. The, I'm sympathetic to this yeah, view at least. Parts yeah. of it are. Um, the, the, the range of quality is huge. There's, there's you know, yeah. impossibly good Kirby. There's cr- bad but crazy fun. And then there's bad and boring. Yeah. Uh, I still don't like Sandman. I've tried oh, to reread it. I couldn't do it. And I, and I love Bang. Oh, thank you. I'm glad people are reading right. Bang. I think it's such a fun comic. Uh, I would like to make a pitch that you guys do the Superior Spider-Man run. I think it was mm. an awesome run. I liked Doc Ock as Spider-Man. Um... And lastly, I absolutely love the dry wit of you guys, and I think it's hysterical when you laugh at your own jokes. That <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to. Yep. Um, the superior, Why do we find ourselves funny? That's that's weird, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, insecurity. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll figure it out and get back to everybody. Um, the Superior Spider-Man run is great. I think Will's never read it, so it's a tough um, choice to cover the whole run. Uh, with Will, maybe it would be worth covering a few issues to see what you think of it. Will, it's it's a very yeah. popular run of Spider-Man where, uh, with a, with a very comic booky plot. I mentioned it before. It's where Doc Ock takes over Spider-Man's body and decides to become a better superhero than Spider-Man was. Yeah, you've mentioned it many times. I, I'm intrigued. It's it's very fun, um, but it's also like if they did that in the movies, it'd be like well, this is stupid. <laughs> it's so <laughs> bonkers. Um. But it was fun. Mm, for good, like years. good recommendation. Yeah. Also, I appreciate just trying comics. Even though I love Sandman, it is it is not at all beyond my <laughs> understanding that somebody wouldn't like it. That, you know, it's very dense and wordy and talky and. Um, I think if it's I just drove not for everybody, if I drove thirteen hours a day, I'd need some more um, less wordy comics. Yeah, something where things are happening a little bit more yeah. decisively could be good. I guess not that you're reading those comics while you drive around, but maybe they're playing hey, in your I, head. Thanks for trying it. That's yeah, very, thanks, Matt. That's thanks generous for of you. I hope you enjoy this Secret War season. Uh, we've got an email from Dan Gillette. A gelati. Uh, a gelati, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, a, a former, another Danbury, Connecticut resident, right, Will? That's correct. Uh, Class of 89, I think. I really enjoyed your short takes on newer comics. Immortal Hulk and Black Hammer are two newer comics that I've actually been reading thanks to the awesome Hoopla app in my local library. Do you guys know about that? Yes, I do. I'm aware of it. I've never used it. Works great. Uh, Many local libraries have ways to download and read comics electronically now. Pretty cool. Uh, I will read and usually buy almost anything by Jeff Lemire. He really is excellent. I don't love his straight hero stuff as much as his own properties, though. I may read his X-Men, but the universe is such a mess. I don't often have much patience for it. I'm sort of the same thing. Uh, Matt Kent and Jeff Lemire, I think, are the least interesting, the more mainstream their books get. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Black Hammer is so very good as are the spinoffs, especially Sherlock Frankenstein. Somehow Lemire and co. have a way of taking almost a spoof of a character or trope and instead of mocking it, adds great meaning and pathos. Uh, have you all read Jason Aaron's stuff? I heard about I him writing... Uh, I heard about him writing fun Marvel stuff, but really like his more indie stuff better, especially Southern Bastards and Scalped. Uh, his Doctor Strange is pretty great, though. Uh, I love Jason Aaron. I think he is phenomenal. Uh, Scalped, when it first started, I was lukewarm on, but by the end, I get, really grew to love that book. Uh, his Thor was great. His Doctor Strange, I think, was great. I'm not enjoying his Avengers that he's doing right now. I dropped reading that. I stopped reading his Avengers, but that's like the first book in forever that he did. 
that I lost interest in. He also did an amazing Ghost Rider run. I don't even like Ghost Rider. But he made Kev, me Do you like, read all comics? I read a lot. Hmm. Um, but I loved his Ghost Rider take. It was like a it was like B movie. Um, like a B horror movie, not horror movie, like B action movie, like Grindhouse. It was like a Grindhouse comic book would be how I would describe it. That's kind of fun. It was born in the seventies. It's kind of from that era. Yeah. It was really fun. Um, I don't think it sold well cause they are, it was, you can sort of tell when books don't sell well cause like the artists change a lot more frequently <laughs> uh, because they're just like, Oh, this artist is good. We need to move them somewhere else. Um, I appreciate the occasional reference to your and my favorite comic book store of your Outer Limits. I was real, I was realizing that before Outer Limits, my brother would drive us up to F and S Comics on Bank Street in New Milford as the nearest comic shop. How lucky that Derek's dad opened up one so close to us. It was definitely the best one in the area. Wow, someone who knows Outer Limits. That's so sweet to hear. Yeah. And Derek, right, that Derek was the son's name. Um, did Derek go to Danbury High? I don't think he did. I don't know. Um, um, it definitely felt like the best shop. Uh, at least the original Outer Limits felt like the best shop. Even when I later went to one, so I was like, it, it holds up. It was small, but definitely better than all the other close ones in Danbury. It was just run by a guy who took paid attention to it. Yeah. He liked his customers. He was a nice guy and ran, and ran it well. Uh, we got a few more emails as well. Okay. Robert Christ. Hey, you young whippersnappers. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas if that's your jam Otherwise happy holidays and a happy new year Depending on when you read this Which is We're still in the 12 days of Christmas So we'll, I'm going to count it It all counts uh, So back to the year one and other Batman comics Robert Christ is continuing an email he sent to us months ago Okay uh, I mentioned I was waiting to read Long Halloween Until the Batman comes out And trust me It's saved on my to-do list So I'll let you know I was fine with year one art And disliked Dark Knight I think that was what it was called. Uh, I don't remember if I sent you that. I read White Knight, and that was a nice style, even though the choices to portray a character weren't my preferred style, but a fun story, and it was nice to look at. That was a comic by an artist named Sean Murphy, who's a great artist. Okay. Uh, But it is sort of like an alternate reality Batman book. Uh, Well, to my chagrin, tell me if I'm using that right, I found Paul Dini Comics' Batman and Robin Adventures at my library. It's more stories around the animated series, and holy cow, is this it. The art is spot on, even though Bruce Tim wasn't penciling. In Volume 1, most of the stories were hits. Only the Penguin and Joker issues were letdowns, while a couple were good, and the rest were knockouts. The Scarface puppet character was so heartbreaking, probably on par with Heart of Ice episode from the show. Needless to say, I enjoyed these. I got Volume 2, then Batman Adventures with Dinny and Tim, and Mad Love by them as well. Maybe one needs to like the animated series to fully enjoy the art and stories, but there are some solid stories, at least in volume one. Have you read them? Uh, I haven't, but man, I, first of all, chagrin is not the word that you're trying to use. Um, it sounds like to your delight is what you mean to say. Yeah, chagrin is sort of like, uh, I'm, on, I'm mad that I like this. Yeah, to your, to your bad tidings, to your misfortune. Maybe, maybe it does. I mean that sometimes. I'll read a comic. I'll try a comic book and I'll be like, I hope I don't like this because I don't need another comic book to read. <laughs> yeah, to my chagrin, I now have to read all of this. I sometimes get um, happy when comics I like get canceled because I'm like, oh, good. It'll just end. <laughs> I feel that way about TV shows. It'll be like, oh, good. Not another season of this, yeah. even though I'll like it. Yeah, I'm excited but, uh, that Better Call Saul is ending. <laughs> I am. <laughs> uh, I mean... I don't know when that season will come out. Uh, um, 
I did read these comics. These comics were tremendously good. Um, though I think I, I didn't, I never read the collections. I bought the single issues as they came out as a kid or as a, as, a, as an adult kid. Um, what, what are we talking? How old adult kid? This would, I mean, Batman animated series was college. Yeah. So twenties, the beginning of your arrested development. Yes. Um, and the first few issues, I forget who did them, but oh no, I think Kelly Puckett was doing them right from the beginning. Uh, this writer, Kelly Puckett did a long run and, um, Ty Templeton drew some issues and then Mike Paraback took over and that first run of Batman comics were so good. Each issue was self-contained. They were all so good. They were like really cool, simple Batman stories. The art style from the cartoons obviously is really cool. The characters are all boiled down to their essences. Man, I loved that comic. Uh, so yeah, those Batman animated series spinoffs were great and there was a number of them and they're almost all pretty good. Um, uh, Mike Parabek sadly died, uh, so didn't uh, do them all, but uh, he was perfect for it. Uh, Dan Slott really did a bunch pre-Spider-Man. He did a little run of uh, animated series Batman that was really good. I don't know. it was Those comics are great, but the original ones, like the first batch of them, were just wonderful. Kelly Puckett is a great writer. Cool endorsement from Kev Hines. Uh, yeah. I've never heard of Batman, but I'll, I'll, try, to think, <laughs> sure, I'll try to catch up and check it out. I mean, that animated series is just... Yeah, I watched all the animated series. Although I didn't really watch all the animated series until like six years ago. It's amazing how good that. I remember seeing that animated series at a, a, a clip at a comic con. They had it like playing. The I, the only San Diego comic con I went to that was right before the series launched, and they were like playing a clip of it on loop behind the DC, um, like desks or whatever. And I was like, oh, this looks good. And they had like a, a panel where you could go and watch an episode. And I watched it and it was like, oh my goodness, this is the best cartoon I've ever seen. Yeah. Such high quality. Yeah. Uh, the series is so fun. Yeah. And Heart of Ice is a tremendous episode, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, two more. Uh, ben uh, Sanborn emails. Hey, mm-hmm. fellas. I've been a listener since the FF episodes. I still need to listen to the inaugural Spidey season and wanted to let you guys know what a great service you do for your listeners during this crazy pandemic that has halted the normal life that most of us took for granted previously. With all this anxiety and gloom surrounding us, it might seem insensitive to have a comic book podcast, but in fact, the opposite of this, we need to have this distraction. We need (laughs) to escape. Uh, That's his emphasis, even for a moment, because otherwise I feel many of us would go bonkers. Uh, As of this email, I'm in the middle of the Sandman episodes. I'm younger than Will, but older than Kevin. So I was aware of the Sandman series while it was monthly publication, but I was more into the Marvel superhero books at the time, and Sandman seemed a little too abstract to me. But now that I've listened to you both recommending it, I plan on checking out a trade as you have piqued my curiosity. Oh, nice. I'm also a fan of the Riverdale series on Netflix. And I would like to know if uh, both of you were casting directors. Oh, I hate these. <laughs> Which <laughs> actors would you choose to portray the Super Friends cartoons from the 70s and 80s? So I think he's talking about like a soap opera version of the uh, Super Like Friends. a Riverdale version of the Super Friends? Yeah. Uh, I do not have the ability to cast this. I would just get everyone who was in Vampire Diaries, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know enough. Well, let's, what's the um, Timothy... Charmelay guy who's in all the um, Greta Gerwig stuff and, yeah. and Call Me By Your Name. Let's put him in there. Great. Here's He's, what I, um, in, instead of casting make, a will, give me a couple plot lines for the soap opera Super Friends. 
show Remind on me CW. of the characters who we talk about. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. All the big ones. Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern. You also get the Wonder Twins, Black Lightning, uh, things like that. Okay. Um, so I, you don't need to use all these characters. Just give me a couple soap opera plot lines involving, uh, you know, your your basic Justice League heroes. Okay. Uh, Aquaman is very publicly in love with Wonder Woman, um, and she's never been interested, and everybody knows it. Um, and she says that she doesn't have time for a relationship, and she wouldn't be interested, but secretly she's um, sleeping with the male guy of the Wonder Twins. <laughs> the Wonder Twins? Ouch! Mm-hmm. And... Um. Uh, Batman is gay and not telling anybody. Okay. Um, and Hawkman is the only person who knows, and he's actually supportive of it. Uh, even though otherwise Hawkman is like an alt-right weirdo. He's the last guy you'd think to be like sympathetic to somebody's struggle with their sexuality. I, think I want Robin who's younger. He's a few grades below the others. He's trying to prove that he's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hurt gets hurt like playing football or something and like breaks his leg or something, possibly ending his superhero career. Okay. Starts doing steroids maybe to heal faster. Yeah. yeah. Gets hooked on drugs for a little bit. We're kind of doing 70s stories now. Yeah. Not yeah. I mean, I don't watch, Riverdale I don't watch stuff. Riverdale. We're old and we don't know. Um, uh, what Apache about? chief <laughs> sues the government <laughs> for his land. Um, and is like, does a like real social media friendly hashtag filled, you know, leveraging, um, social media to try to like further his people's cause. Uh, class president Superman gets tired of everyone talking about how good he is and, uh, really tries to get in with the, the bad kids for a while. That's like an arc. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's good. All right. There's a uh, crossover. A- <laughs> Sabrina, the teenage witch, enters the Hall of Justice and gets into a catty, uh, you know, trading of barbs with Jaina. <laughs> I'm into the Wonder Twins. I see that. They're great. Um, that's enough of that. Uh, P.S. Have you guys ever considered changing the name of the show to the Milksop and the Panty Waist? Yes, I have. Yeah, I've considered changing it just to the Milksops. The Milksops would be my choice. Also, yeah. like the Spidey Bros, even though we don't just do Spidey, be the world's most confusing title. <laughs> uh, oh man, we've got two more. I'm sorry. Uh, wow, what a what a what a bait and switch. Uh, hey Casey, uh, hey guys, Casey from Indiana here. This is Casey Helton. I've been listening to you guys at work for about a month, and I am almost through the Fantastic Four run. You got a ways to go, probably. <laughs> I'm also reading. Feel free to skip ahead. Don't feel like you got to no, finish it. No, you got it. You won't catch. You won't understand this season without it. I'm also reading the epic collections along with the podcast. It's great fun, and you guys do an amazing, fantastic, spectacular job of making the history come to life. Hopefully, this will get read on an episode, and I will have left myself a little gift for future me. Uh, you won't hear this until he's already made his decision. Uh, keep up the great work, and here's to many, many more episodes. I currently have COVID, and while locked down, I've been binge-watching binge watching tons of TV. Is that Will Hines on Brooklyn Nine-Nine? I knew the voice immediately. <laughs> that is me, yeah. I've, I've been on like four or five episodes as a assistant DA Carl Kerm, sometimes yeah. misspelled Crumb. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good catch just by your voice. 
Yeah, that, I'm not. A, I'm not in there a lot. <laughs> I'm in and out pretty quick. So unless he thought you were Andre Brower. Yeah, I guess I don't know which character you're assuming I am, but uh, I'm the bald, bespectacled <laughs> uh, assistant DA. Uh, okay, last one. Uh, this is from John Bournes. Hey, Milk Sops. I just wrapped up the Sandman season. I thought it was a fascinating read and unlike anything that I had even thought possible in comic books. So thank you for opening me up to that. Unfortunately, as a result, I think Morpheus has invaded my personal dream space. He was uh, always there. I had a dream the other night oh boy, <laughs> in which I traveled to L.A. for a work trip. In the dream, me and some co-workers were out to dinner at some L.A. restaurant. I was surprised to see that our very own Will Hines is working at this restaurant. Not in any sort of comedic capacity. Sorry, Will. It's but okay. rather as some sort of concierge or something. <laughs> More realistic. It wasn't entirely clear that his job was, but he was certainly <laughs> helping out restaurant goers <laughs> with the tables and stuff and not here to do any entertaining. Later in the dream, I uh, happened to find myself near Will in a buffet line. We struck up a conversation, which was friendly. Next thing I knew, Will and I were out and about L.A. being buddies and doing L.A. stuff. We were getting along like fine old pals. At no point had I mentioned that I knew him to be famous comedian Will Hines because I was very self-conscious about being one of those tourists in L.A. who was bothering celebrities. How after spending like hours together, I shot my shot and said to Will simply, by the way, I'm a fan of your comedy. And Will responded to me in the worst way possible. He was basically convinced that was some type of stalker and that I'd yeah. the whole evening to trick him into being buddies with me. Yeah, he was disgusted and insulted and washed his hands of me right there on the spot and left yep. me in the streets of L.A. I was devastated. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, how's that read you? Well, realistic? That's the exact experience I went through hearing the letter. I was really into the letter. I liked this guy, but then by the end I was like, stalker. This whole letter is just an excuse to try to stalk me. I got so many stalkers. No, I'm just excited to be even associated with the word comedian. <laughs> My career is so weirdly defined. I do a hundred free podcasts a week that nobody listens to. And I'm in Brooklyn nine, nine for a total of two minutes spread out over five years. Yeah. This so. might, that might help you get sagged that dream. Oh yeah. Is that a sag dream? <laughs> did, you, did you, was that a non-union dream? Yeah, we're gonna I need find to know that. for my health benefits eligibility. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks for all the emails, everyone. If you want to email us, we should have said this before you all stopped listening uh, as we answered emails. But uh, email us screw at screwitspidey. Yeah, screwitspidey at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, we also have an Instagram, screwitcomics, and a Twitter, screwitcomics. Um, and then we, you can, um, and we, and if you're a real completist uh, social media fan, you can follow screwitrecent and screwitspidey on Instagram. But screwitspidey at gmail is the main piece of information we want you to remember. And please uh, email us, especially if you have any thoughts on Secret Wars or Jim Shooter or Marvel Comics or crossover events or any comics or brothers. Let us know. Or siblings. doesn't have to be male. Just siblings. Mm-hmm. Thank you for uh, listening. Yeah, thanks everyone. So we'll see you, see you next episode. Yeah, see you next week for Secret Wars, issues one and two. Bye. Bye-bye. Screw it. Screw it. Just about comics. Ever wanted to hear from the neighbor at 9 Cloverfield Lane? Or what if I told you that Dr. Loomis's worst patient wasn't Michael Myers? I'm Adam Peacock, host of the podcast My Neighbors Are Dead. Join me each week as I talk to the lesser-known characters from your favorite horror films, Each week is an all-new, fully improvised journey into the unknown featuring friends and luminaries from the worlds of comedy, horror, and beyond. New episodes every Tuesday on Campfire Media. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
Campfire. <laughs>